Good evening, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Generally Irritable. We're continuing our, our series of conversations about energy, energy independence, and what the options are for, uh, for a mix of ways to be energy independent here in the United States. Uh, with our last administration, we had actually become a net exporter of fossil fuels and other, other ways to produce power. And what I'm really hoping for in, in, in running for Congress this year is to restore that energy independence. I think it's a top homeland security issue. I think we should not be relying on countries uh, and regions of the world that hate our guts to make sure that we've got fertilizer to grow our food, to make sure that you have home heating oil or natural gas propane to heat your homes this winter. We need to make sure we can produce that ourselves. And my understanding is we actually have the largest natural gas deposits in the world. Hopefully our guest tonight, Tucker Perkins, can make sure that I'm not making up stories and that that is an actual statistic. Uh, super duper excited to have him on with us today. He is the CEO of the Propane Education and Research Council. So I got to meet our guest, Tucker Perkins, at the Proctor Gas event a few weeks ago where they brought in the first shipment of renewable propane to Vermont. So that was pretty exciting. And you're saying to yourself, Erica, what is renewable propane? How is that a thing? Well, Tucker is going to talk to us a little bit about that tonight. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how renewable propane can fit into the mix of energy here in Vermont, how we heat our homes, and then just propane in general and how it fits into the energy grid here in Vermont and around the U.S. So uh, as usual, or uh, again, today, we're really blessed to have our episode sponsored by BetterHelp.com. And so we're going to hear from our sponsor a little bit later in the show. But for now, I hope that you all will join me in welcoming Mr. Tucker Perkins. Good evening, sir. Welcome to the yeah. show. Erica, what a great introduction. Love the uh, video stream, and it's nice to be with you tonight. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Well, it's it was so interesting to have you here in Vermont from, from Virginia, where, you know, we get to all get together from around the country, right? It doesn't matter if you're from Vermont, Virginia, Texas, California. We're, as a nation, we utilize fossil fuels natural gas, oil, and all of these things, whether it's for agriculture, heating, air conditioning in the summertime, right? So we, I, my, my, my air conditioner runs off of, it's the same natural gas furnace that my heater runs off of. And so we really use so much, we're, we're really, I guess, dependent on these products. Well, you're certainly dependent on energy. And I think perhaps what's interesting to me, I think all of us thought perhaps uh, efficiency uh, would perhaps lead us to a spot where we use less energy per person. Mm. And in fact, it's quite the inverse of that, that we continue to find new ways. We all have more computers, more TVs. So we all use more energy. And again, at least from my travels, I'm shocked sometimes 
how different the energy mix is in different parts mm-hmm. of the country and then how different our energy uses are. Obviously, you're in a place where you don't get crazy hot, but you get crazy cold. And, you know, I think it's it's a different story in Texas than it is in California and a very, mm-hmm. very different story in that, you know, northern New England world and really a different story in Germany or France or India in places that I actually am fortunate to go and work in to to study the whole energy mix. I mean, it's, it's really what we do, right? I'm not going to sell anyone a gallon of propane. I'm really trying to figure out how this energy mix fits together and have been doing it pretty actively for the last five or six years. That when, so tell me, I got to tell you, to be honest with you, Tucker, when I heard propane first, I was like, you mean like what I grill with? That's right. People, that's what it, most people say. That's I had no idea that people use propane to heat their homes or that or that we used it for any power production. Which is so interesting because if you lived in LA or Manhattan, I, I guess I could understand that. But in Vermont, you know, Vermont has been primarily a state that relied on fuel oil. Yep. And now that's what we, we had think, growing we up. We had our the, yep, yeah. gr- gr- growing up. We had our oil tank and then we had a wood stove. Right. So so if you go back 50 years or whatever, most everybody used wood. Then they eventually gravitated towards fuel oil as an improvement or maybe they mm-hmm. had coal at one time. And now kind of that next modern step has been to use natural gas or propane. So it's always interesting to me and I hear it daily. Right. Tell me mm-hmm. how this fuel that I use in my grill, because 50 million homes <laughs> use the propane grill, but 5 million homes in the U.S. use propane as their primary source of heat. Uh, a million farms use propane, you know, as the primary energy on the farm. And certainly in Vermont, we are trying to migrate people from fuel oil to mm. propane for the very reason we're here to talk about, it's so much better for the environment. And it still maintains that energy density that you need when it gets really cold, Mm. you need a fuel that can keep your house warm. Yep. What is the difference between natural gas and propane? So when are, are they, is natural gas synonymous with propane? Is it different? What, like, what do I heat my house with? I just know it's natural gas from Vermont Gas. Okay, yeah. So so generally, nat- so there are a lot of similarities to natural gas and propane. And then there are a few key distinctions different when we talk about the environment. But generally, uh, when I started in this business, I don't know, 30 years ago now, sadly, um, you know, <laughs> propane generally came from ref- cleaning up uh, an oil well. And so it was one of the lighter things in an oil well. But as we look forward to today, almost all of the propane in the country comes from refining, cleaning up natural gas. Mm. And so in many respects, if you have access to a pipeline, you generally use natural gas. It's often cheaper. It's uh, more available in what we'll call urban communities. Propane would be the almost same thing that's beyond the natural gas main. You put it in a tank, whether it's your grill tank or a 30,000 gallon tank at your industry. So it's kind of the the benefits of natural gas 
in a more portable, transportable environment. Now, let me okay. just say, the knock on natural gas has been that unburned natural gas is a pretty uh, significant greenhouse gas. So okay. unburned. Now, burned natural gas is actually very clean, but, you know, the industry over the years has had a an issue with trying to make sure pipes didn't leak, valves don't leak. Mm. And unburned natural gas is a pretty potent natural gas, is a pretty potent greenhouse gas. The beautiful thing about propane, oddly, chemistry gave it to us, we are not at all a greenhouse gas. And if you go today to Target or Lidl or Aldi or uh, even a lot of the local grocery stores, it's possible and probable that their refrigeration cabinets are in fact propane. Because unburned propane is actually one of the next best things uh, to CO2 uh, for, for interacting in the environment. And that's one reason we're completely moving away from chlorofluorocarbons as a yep. refrigerant. And a lot of modern companies are using propane. So the real difference between propane and natural gas is what happens when it leaks or escapes before it's consumed. Got it. Okay. So, so liquid. So basically if, if I understand correctly, like natural gas or excuse me, uh, propane can be liquefied essentially and then transported places. And I might even, I might even get you to choose your words. Cause I think, okay. you know, your readers are going to are reading every day about liquefied natural gas. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, that's what and, I'm and, like. And moving that. So here's the difference. Okay. Propane is easily liquefied. Mm, uh, okay. We do it at really low pressures and at all temperatures. And actually, I came from the LNG industry. LNG is really difficult to liquefy, but can be. I mean, essentially, it's at minus 260 degrees Fahrenheit. Right. And so it takes all this effort to liquefy natural gas, where liquefying propane is very simple. So, pro so propane really, especially in a place like Vermont, where it's very rural, we don't have pipelines going. Like I live in Burlington, so it's a lot easier, right? Because you can get pipelines going and, and have it be easy. But when we're talking about a rural state where it's winter nine months out of the year and, you know, you've got all the mountains and frost heaves and all this stuff, the propane sounds like a much better solution than a lot of energy mix that we're talking about, even yeah, maybe when, wood. It's always interesting. And I, I always love to talk about three things and I rarely talk about them as individual <laughs> silos, but we have some time tonight. There, yeah. There is the climate, which we generally yep. think about just temperature rise. And we tend to measure that in greenhouse gases or carbon yep. intensity, but it all, it all points to the climate with a very narrow definition of, what is going on in the outer layers that increase our temperature or what can we do to decrease? And it's all around carbon, right? Mm -hmm. How much carbon yeah. did we emit? How much carbon can we capture? Generally, when I have this conversation, I love to talk equally about health because we have to be careful about, and I'm quick to say to most people, I think we will die of asthma, bronchitis, COPD. Our children are suffering from that. So I never want to use this narrow lens of just climate without talking about health. And then last yeah. is equity because, okay. and, and it's something that I think five years ago we never talked about, but these, these solutions have to be affordable. And I really think they have to be 
preferable to the other uses of the money. One one of the things that always, mm. you know, obviously no solution, no no surprise to anyone. We live in a place where infrastructure is truly crumbling. Housing, societal needs, medicine. There are so many needs for money. And as we think about the migration for climate, it's as almost though we have no, no gauge on the investments. Um, mm. And I think, you know, we kind of see that a little bit right now in Europe as Germany is really struggling right oh, now yeah. with rising costs. And and they forged they forewent energy security, right? They correct. They um, did not prioritize that. So, but to go back to your original point, and I might you you didn't ask me this, but I might lead you with it right now. Yeah. There's a common narrative that fossil fuels are bad and electrification is good. And I find that narrative so wrong because one, electrification is not an energy. It's a it's a way to conduct <laughs> energy, right? Yeah, so, you need something to create the electricity. Correct. Yeah. So I would tend to say coal, oil, wood are particularly bad, right? Mm, yeah. But electricity that's made from coal, oil, or wood is equally bad. In fact, it may be worse than that. Because at least there's the there's the efficiency of using energy directly and the inefficiency <laughs> of using that energy to make electricity, which is very inefficient, transporting mm, it. So, yeah. so yeah, to your original question, yes, Vermonters rely on a lot of propane. Yeah. Frankly, they rely on huge sums of uh, heating oil and diesel fuel. And when you mm. look at that in the in the context of climate particularly when you look at it today in the context of climate, when we're coming out where you were paying probably $6 a gallon for diesel fuel and $5 a gallon for uh, gasoline, not only is propane or natural gas much cleaner than those sources in most states and not Vermont, um, propane and natural gas is cleaner than electricity. I mean, the, the surprising statistic for me is in the, across the country today, propane is cleaner than electricity in 38 states today. Today. Wait, when you say propane is cleaner than electricity, right? Now, you, ju you just said a minute ago that electricity isn't, wait, how did you say it? Energy isn't propane. I, no, gosh, now I'm trying to remember how you said it. When you say that propane is cleaner than energy, is that because the energy is being produced by coal and oil and stuff? What do you mean Correct. In okay. the very narrow lens of climate, and again, I don't like to use that very narrow lens, but let's just use right. it for a moment. The car, let, me, let me talk to you on a worldwide, on a national basis, because it's right. interesting. I know the number off the top of my head. Okay. If you look at the sources of the grid today, nationwide, that are hydroelectric, nuclear, coal, oil, wood, renewable solar, renewable wind, offshore wind, if you look at that and you and you convert all of that energy into carbon intensity, the carbon intensity of the grid today is something wow. over 150. So okay. we kind of measure the dirtiness of coal, the dirtiness of oil, the cleanliness for, for a degree of renewable solar and wind. But the, the grid in the U.S. today has a carbon intensity of 154. Okay. The carbon intensity of propane, and for that matter, natural gas, both are about 80. So at some level, that's a almost less. twice as clean as the as the cleanliness of the electric grid. So if you wanted to decarbonize today, would you use more electricity 
or would you use <laughs> more natural gas and propane? I mean, I think it's, it's oh my god, it is the, the common narrative in in the public domain and people that yeah. are used to listen to this in three second sound bites yeah. is that the only path to a clean climate is through electrification. Electricity. Yep, exactly. And I think you know what's shocking is no, for today, the only path to a clean climate might be to only use those forms of electricity that are really clean. And mm. otherwise, let's use more natural gas and more propane. Right. Well, and this is what I, you know, I've, I, I always laugh because I, here in, in the city of Burlington, where I live, they decided to start burning wood chips in the McNeil power plant. And they've said that this is uh, net zero because it's renewable. Uh, and I mean, we could get into the boondoggle of all of it and how, you know, deforestation and, and all these other questions, but we went from burning a natural, having a natural gas burning power plant to burning wood chips, which puts all of these particulates in the air. And it's, and you're literally just releasing carbon into the air. And whereas we could add some, you know, little mechanisms to it to make it burn cleaner and more efficient, or we could just burn a new, or we could build a new dual cycle power plant, which would be even more efficient and use less fuel. And I'm just going, you guys are making these terrible decisions. Like this is not better. This is not better for the environment. And you, you might be able to put lipstick on a pig, but it is still a pig. Yeah. I find, you know, really uh, burning of wood is, and again, remember I said, I don't like to be narrow lens of one. So and you, by the way, you hit, the nail uh, right on squarely on the head when you talked about particulate matter. Burning wood creates inordinate amounts of particulate matter. Particulate matter is a known carcinogen. Right. Particulate matter, particularly the kind that comes from burning wood, is particularly harmful to everyone's lungs, but significantly harmful to young lungs and elderly. Mm. Young. So, so I, I, in that particular case, I don't even focus on the CO2 output. Right. And again, depending on where that wood came from and how it was harvested, it could be horrific uh, contributors to greenhouse gas. But beyond before that, to me, and that, again, your utility would be able to say that's a renewable resource, but they certainly can't say it's an environmentally friendly resource. They cannot. It, it, exactly. And so this yeah. is what you know, why I was so fascinated when I got to learn more at that event was, okay, right now they're, they, right. We'll say the other team is really pushing hard on solar wind and all this other stuff. And, uh, I can tell you, my husband and I lived in Hollywood in two, we were living in Hollywood in 2018 when there were rolling blackouts throughout the state and, and through the city, we were without power for four days in the hottest part of the summer because California's energy grid is so dependent on these other kinds of energy that are unreliable. Uh, not only are they, they unreliable, but they, they were not taking into account the pollution created to, to build solar panels and, and these wind turbines and all this other stuff. And so you know, I, when I, when I was hearing about this, I said, okay, I got to have Tucker on the show. We're going to have to talk about propane and how this is a mix, because I think if we educate people on what their options are, 
hopefully that not only will our politicians make better decisions, we will get to make different decisions that are cleaner, can make us feel better, uh, but also that people can tell their politicians what they want. Yeah, I was actually uh, talking with a really smart physicist on Friday, and we talked about it a little bit more. But, I mean, clearly part of this is just about uh, growing America to, and to be not only environmentally strong, but being economically strong because energy – energy is life. And I think the, the sad corollary to that is the lack of energy is death. Um, and I, I don't really care whether you're talking about it physically or, you know, in terms of our own economy, but the narrative has been so interesting that renewables are clean and fossil fuels are dirty. Mm. And I think the first thing, at least as I study it, rarely do I see a successful grid where renewables contribute more than about 50% of the, of the energy into the mm. grid. And okay. it's very complex, right? It's about how wires transmit power and how you use power and when you use it and how you store it or don't, aren't able to store it. But if you even look around the globe, and there are some rare exceptions, but in general, the minute the grid is more than 50% renewable, you tend to have some some real struggles. And, yeah. and New England is a place where, again, you don't have a lot of summer peak. You have a big winter peak. Um, and as we think about adding more electric vehicles and more computers and more TVs, yeah. it you, you know, we really, and, and by the way, we take away nuclear. We don't really build more hydroelectric. So we take away some of those big contributors. By the way, we don't want to build more coal. Uh, we really don't want to burn more wood pop. So, so all of a sudden the, the choices, and I, I don't, I studied a little bit in your part of the world. And of course you're very familiar with trying to build pipe or overhead pipelines. You call them power lines. I call them, you know, overhead pipelines because it's no different except for they're uglier than the underground pipeline. <laughs> but you still, you always have the problem that energy is created in one place and historically used yeah. in another place. So, until you're able to sufficiently connect those two sources with power lines, mm. um, you really have a, another problem. And so I think people have been fed a diet of completely oversimplifying this intensely complicated system of not only cleaning our grid today, much less thinking about what does it need to look like in 30, 40 years from now. And that is a great, point to take a moment to thank our sponsor, betterhelp.com. We're going to transition to a little ad, you guys. Thanks for bearing with us for about a minute and uh, and to, to help support the channel. So hold on just one second. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I've definitely struggled with some emotional stuff the last couple of years. I need someone to talk to that's not just my husband or friends or family. I need somebody who's experienced and, and licensed and trained to listen and help me work through the the fear and the anger and the frustration that I've been feeling over the last couple years with these lockdowns. So you too can go to BetterHelp and schedule an appointment with one of their 20,000 licensed therapists. So you just, you go on, you fill out a questionnaire, 
within 48 hours, they've paired you with someone who has experience in the field that you specifically are wanting help with. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions, plus unlimited messaging. And all of this is secure and confidential. Join the over 2 million people who have already taken charge of their mental health. We've got a special offer for our viewers, 10% off your first month of services when you use the special code generally irritable. So you wanna to go to betterhelp.com, that's betterhelp.com slash generally irritable and start saving today. Thank you again, BetterHelp, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so just as a reminder to everybody watching, if you have a question for our guest Tucker person, Tucker Perkins, excuse me, you can go ahead and put it in the chat, whether you're on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitch, we'll see it here and we'll read it aloud. Um, it's interesting, you know, we're talking about the environment. I'm going to share with folks uh, your organization's website. You know, I just love that you, you don't have to be a Democrat to love the environment, right? You don't have to be, everybody thinks that only liberals or only Democrats care about the environment, care about, uh, concerns about climate change. And, and it's just not so, you know, there's no reason why we can't keep the environment clean while also taking care of people financially and making good decisions. Yeah, and I mean, I might just add in, it always strikes me that no one ever talks about a couple of key things. We don't talk very much about conservation of water. We certainly mm. don't talk enough about uh, turning down our thermostat, turning, uh, you know, when it's cold, turning up our thermostat on hot days. We don't think a yeah. lot about conservation of any resources, and it's really critical. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, Germany is, is I don't know, I, I follow that daily. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that, that will be perhaps the only way Germany survives mm. this particular winter um, is through massive change in the way they have always done things. Well, and my understanding is France uh, seemingly alone in Europe is is not suffering in the same way because they have nuclear plants in that country. It's all about decisions they made five to 10 years ago mm -hmm. as they thought about. And again, that's why the parallels are so scary to me. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. France made the decision years ago that they would begin to invest more in nuclear. Mm -hmm. And they, they wanted to rely less on at that particular type Russian natural gas. Mm -hmm. And I would even say, Erica, I know but most people don't think about it, all natural gas isn't created equal either. Right? <laughs> um, you know, the, the natural gas that comes from Russia into Europe is found, uh, cleaned, transported in ways that would horrify most Americans if they knew the methods and the techniques that were being used there. Really? So, but it's a, it's a classic example where France made a set of calculations and now, five, ten years later, they find themselves nowhere near the same situation. And, I, and yeah. I tell people all the time, I could have told you three years ago that Russians, uh, Russian natural gas moving into Europe was going to be horrible for Ukraine mm -hmm. and was going to be 
really a, a detriment to energy independence and energy security through all of Europe. I would have never guessed that, you know, how right I would be, but I knew that financially uh, Russian natural gas was going to be a big lever to the Ukrainian economy in a bad yeah. way. But again, all natural gas isn't equal. I mean, the Russian natural gas, and I love to quote Scott Tinker. He's a, he's a geologist and he, he really is a guy that says a lot of bright things, not the okay. least of which is, you know, we as Americans had energy independence. Yes. We now don't forget at one time we didn't. We were wholly dependent on a liquid fuels environment and we were wholly dependent on, on Saudis, uh, Iraqis, Iranians. And but we we fixed Russians. that, right? Yeah. As you said, when we kicked the show off, we we became not only were we net importers, we became net exporters of energy. Correct. We are now in a position, and I don't really care whether <laughs> people you know study this and or think about it. We're in a position now as we move to a minerals society because mm. batteries are the key to electrified economy. Oh, batteries okay, yep. are the key, right? Electricity yep. is not that's electricity is nothing but until it's stored. Yep. And and what people really don't realize is 97% of all the minerals that are either found or processed into batteries, you couldn't guess where I'm going with this. They are processed by the Chinese. And so Scott oh, Tinker, wow. Scott Tinker has two great statements. One we are trading energy independence as we move from a liquids society to a society that is going to be wholly reliant on Chinese interest. And then secondly, uh, no one ever, I never see this quoted anywhere. The earth has one atmosphere. The earth yes. has one atmosphere with a very efficient conveyor belt. Mm -hmm. So as proud as I would be to live in Vermont with your hydroelectric power and your uber clean electric grid it's it is the cleanest grid in the country yeah sadly we need to keep an eye on what's going on in china and russia and india and all of this migration to coal massive amounts of coal being consumed because yes. the earth has one atmosphere and a very efficient conveyor belt well, and I think it's it's really interesting as we discuss what the United States should do that you're hearing, we're not hearing about the fact that these other countries, developing nations need energy. They need power to develop. And and the idea that we as, a, as the United States, now that we're all good, right? Big brothers coming in and being like, okay, well, you can't have any of that because it's dirty. So you just be poor and let your people starve and not have energy for hospitals and, you know, too bad sucker. Yeah. When you, when you start, and I've actually been studying this myself for probably the last three or four years and it's shocking, you yeah. know, so, so there's one, what are the clean forms of energy and, and how do we get them so we can afford it? So they're reliable, right? Uh, and yeah. So they provide power when we want power, all of that complexity but then you start throwing in developing countries and developing worlds versus developed worlds and who pays for what it, it becomes impressively mm. complex. I mean, I think, you know, I, I've participated uh, in a couple of the last cops where we really begin to think about how does the world, so forget the U S just for a moment, how does the world move to a cleaner climate? Mm. And it is so complex when you think about, 
politics and and GDP. I mean, you're thinking about it's about economies now, mm-hmm. and and then finally it's about human humans, right? Uh, yeah. Do you want do, you know we talk about NIMBYism a lot, but yes. do you want a copper mine? And so we begin to say, well, okay, we'll we'll invoke the War Powers Act and we'll bring mining and minerals into the United States. Do you want a copper mine in your backyard? Do you mm-hmm. want a lithium mine to consume your? It's and and I think all of that combines to even make it. And and again, that's one reason. And I think you've been there for some time. We need to figure out how to make natural gas, these great American resources we have, which in my opinion would certainly be natural gas, propane. Propane. Uh, we have great engineering and we need to figure out how to use these resources that are significantly cleaner than this electric grid to which we aspire. Yeah. And, and I would say to your point, we're going to talk about renewable fuels later, but you know, one of the things we benchmark is, okay, I'll admit the electric grid isn't dirty. I travel to Kentucky and Wyoming and uh, Missouri, and it's shocking to me how dirty the grid is, how mm. how full of coal-produced power it is. But even I say, okay, that could get cleaner, right? Those coal plants go away. We can bring in uh, natural gas-fired plants. We got, you know, some solar, some wind. Let's do The grids will get cleaner. What's scary is we begin to model the optimum scenario for a mm. clean grid using renewable natural gas and renewable propane, we never, ever are dirtier than even the optimum grid in most mm. places. And so renewable fuels clearly need to be a part. Even the oil heat industry has done a great job of thinking about fuels of the future and how to make fuels that look like oil, look like propane, look like natural gas, but come from completely renewable sources and not in a fraudulent kind of way. All right. Literally, <laughs> literally in a scientifically right. uh, sound way. And I'm, well, proud, I'm proud to be a part of that effort right now. And I mean, I have three PhDs on staff. Five years ago, we had none. We, we delve into this every day, all day. Yeah. Well, and I've, I've got a question when let's, you know what, let's go ahead and switch over to renewable propane. We got some great comments here. No questions yet, but, uh, C P P Pizzo Pizzo. I'm totally pronouncing that wrong. I'm sure P I S O forgive me for saying your name wrong. Um, Judy's event was great shedding light on the hypocrisy. Yeah. We've got here in Vermont and I, and, and you don't have to say anything, Tucker. I don't want to get anybody in trouble. But, you know, here in Vermont, we, you, you, you said it earlier, we have the cleanest power grid in the country. Vermont has, I want to, I'm just going to restate that. Vermont has the cleanest power in the country, correct? I'm saying that right? Yeah, your, your grid is basically hydroelectric power. Now, okay. I would say when the chips are down, no pun intended, you tend to go towards, <laughs> you know, fuel oil and some fairly dirty secondary sources. Yeah. But day in, day out, you have the cleanest grid in the country. Okay. And then what we, what happened is we've got some renewable energy folks, solar wind, who were able to, uh, you know, get the Vermont government to start investing in some of these renewables, wind, solar. And then they in turn make the, so the owners of these solar energy companies and wind energy companies are actually now working for the government, telling the government, 
how to arrange our laws and to give their company more money to do more. And it's very, it, it is not good. It is, it, it does not look good. And it looks a lot like corruption. It looks like a lot like uh, government officials taking money out of Vermonters pockets and putting it in the pockets of their friends. And so, you know, it just, we just go, okay, well, you guys want this new renewable stuff, but it just looks more like this, you know, helping out your friends. I'm trying to figure out how to, a way to, how to say, you know, this doesn't look any better than the oil and gas industry. You, you guys think that there's a problem with oil and gas. You don't think there should be uh, kickbacks or, or tax breaks or whatever, but you want to do it for renewable energy. What's the difference? Well, I think I, I always go back to the very core issue. And I find sometimes we're, I'm, I'm ridiculously simplistic in that. But our first goal is to clean the climate. Our first goal is to reduce carbon. Clearly, we would all be better off with less carbon emitted into the atmosphere. Secondly, though, we need to be healthy people and mm -hmm. we need to make choices that don't create bronchitis, asthma, COPD. And thirdly, if we do one plus two, but we can't afford it, the solutions are, are, are not affordable, then we'll achieve nothing. And I think, mm -hmm. it, look, there are thousands of articles being written right now by economists who talk about the fallacy of a lot of the current incentivization, right? Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and let's look at electric vehicles as a kind of the classic example. Because most people say, well, I'm doing this for equity and for justice. I'm doing this for the people who can, who live near the power plants and, and least afford the injustice. Well, let us ask this. To the extent I give you enough money to buy a Tesla and 30% of that is paid for by an incentive, and that Tesla's tailpipe is directly connected to the power plant. Where is the justice in that? I it it I I don't under. So this is you know I know I'm asking you to speculate here, but do you think that it is just? Do you think it's just ignorance? Do you think people like really don't connect one to the other, do, or are they just reading the headlines and and like oh if I do this I can feel good about myself? Like, how can we be so disconnected from reality? I actually, it's an, it's an area I've really started studying human factors and the psychology of some of this, because it is, it's really perplexing to me how seemingly smart people can make some very rationally challenging questions. Yes. I, think, I, I always come back to the first thing is that it's the energy complex is really complex. Really, mm -hmm. it is really difficult to understand, you know, in the big picture. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, one of the things we we lobby for, if you will, although we, never, we don't really lobby, I'm talking about lobbying with government agencies and scientific groups. So let's think about the full economic analysis of our decisions, right? Yes. If, and, and rarely is it done on a full cycle. It's, it's done in little snippets. My car is emission free. That could not be a less truthful statement. And we know <laughs> we we know actually nothing is emission free. I mean, when a car is going down the road, it's emitting paint and parts of the tires are flying off and parts of the brakes are flying off. Nothing is emission free. But we have oh, allowed, the, in the production. allowed the dialogue to be that my electric car is emission free. Well, at least you would even agree with me 
that no, it's not really emission free. You've just pushed your emissions upstream to the power plant. Yeah. Overseas but, where it's being, where your batteries are being mined and produced and all correct. this other stuff, we offshore that pollution. And then now it, the pollution is near the power plant. Yeah. And we're, and, and I don't know that we're going to win that argument. I, again, you know, maybe it's a little bit too political, maybe it's a little too complex, but for sure, the people that benefit from being listed as emission free and get a complete kitchen pass, if you will, for all of their upstream emissions, there is no incentive there to have a genuine conversation. So it, it really gets down to people like you and me. And I'm happy to say, thousands of scientists and mm. physicists and now writers. I mean, yeah. I follow a half dozen people that write in Forbes uh, about, about the complexity of these systems. And, and it's really truthful. And so we just keep talking about it. Certainly solar and wind are a part of the future grid, right? Clearly they are. I believe as many people don't really want to believe, but I think nuclear will have to be. And, you know, nuclear, it has to be safe. I'm not saying, but I think, again, you work with, I don't think people realize how far, and again, I'm an engineer, so I tend to believe a lot in technical solutions. And I don't think people realize how far we have come just in the last 20 years and how far we will go in the next 20 or 30 years. And <clears throat> the last thing I'll say, and then I'll kind of can stop at this, to, to allow ourselves to walk down this narrow path of electrification from renewable energies, albeit solar and wind, it's clearly not. We can all agree. All of you have had your power lines come down because of snow or ice or wind. Texas had them come down through winter storm Uri. We live all with that. The south, yep. They have them come down from hurricanes all through the Midwest from tornadoes all through the West because of fires. And we can all agree that a wider path towards a cleaner climate is better for everyone. Better. Yep. And so we just keep laboring, but I will tell you five years into this with studying the science as hard as we can study it five, sometimes six days a week, mm. it, it still seems that the current narrative is quite wrong, that yeah. there is a place today, 20 years from today, uh, that clean fuels propane, natural gas, have a seat at the table and will get us to a cleaner climate faster than almost anything on the table. Yep. right? Now. Yep. I, I think I agree. And I just want to one more time, bring everybody back uh, to the PRC, PERC website. There is so much good information on here. I, this was really interesting. A net zero, uh, yeah, the article, net zero it's funny. The article you're highlighting right there. Yeah. Uh, is an article that when we first started talking about it with green builders, and we've been working with green builders for decades, right? Yeah. Um, because we, we work about efficient appliances, using insulations efficiently, using the right set of appliances. Yeah. But when we start talking with the green building industry about how can propane, so by the common thought, this dirty fossil fuel, how can propane be a part of a zero net energy home? And I think as we look forward today, Builders completely understand how that works and not only yeah. for resilience and affordability and comfort, but for the net impact to the environment. Yes. I, I just love that. I love that you're, you're speaking to people uh, about values and things that really matter. And this is, I, you know, again, this is just more evidence that we can have it all. 
uh, and, and I and think I, what- I would argue that we are speaking to people in the language of today, reducing greenhouse gases. Yeah. Uh, reducing the impacts on our health. Yeah. And providing affordable solutions that, in fact, are the truest form Actually, of equity and justice. Yep. I love it. So everybody should go to propane.com. Check out all these resources. There's, you know, you've got recommendations and suggestions. There's information. There's ways to speak about the environment. Um, so this is all awesome. And then you've got the, uh, they can follow you on LinkedIn at Tucker Perkins. They can follow you at on Twitter at, um, at, at uh, Tucker P-E-R-C. So we've got links for those in the, uh, in the, in the description of the show. Now I, I totally buried the lead here and everybody's going to be irritated with me. Let's get to the renewable propane conversation because I, I found this so fascinating. So, so basically renewable propane is sort of an after is like a, is like a byproduct of, of bio waste is kind of how I have it shorthand in my head. How would you describe renewable propane generally for our viewers? Well, you were, you were privy to the deliveries of the first renewable propane into Vermont. Uh, I was there when we brought the first loads into New York. I was there when we brought the first loads into Virginia. And all of that renewable propane comes from renewable diesel sourcing, right? Mm. So when we today we use fats, oils, and greases. And it can come from a variety of sources. It can come from your local restaurants. It can come from specific crops Cooking like uh, yeah. okay. cr crushed oils, canola oil, sunflower oil. Um, it can come from rendered animals. I mean, it fats, oils, and greases, however you get there. Okay. And the process very easily can, what we, we add hydrogen and we make the equivalent of renewable diesel, sustainable aviation fuel, and renewable propane. And we can kind of make it in the mix that we choose to mix based on, you know, the needs and the, to a degree, the ability of their finer. But what's important, and I said earlier, the carbon, it's, it, these numbers are always interesting to me to remember. The carbon intensity of the grid today is 154. The carbon intensity mm. of conventional propane is about 79. The carbon intensity of the renewable propane we brought into Vermont is actually about 20. So again, 25% the carbon intensity of conventional propane. Okay. Now, if we, th there are many pathways and many feedstocks that we're working with. In fact, we're really working on an interesting project in Maine with kelp. Uh, kelp I that saw grow. that. Yeah. Now, again, I don't, I'm not here to tell your listeners tonight that that <laughs> kelp will make renewable propane because, you know, that's a very complicated scientific process, but it's, okay. it's gives you an idea, but there are nine other pathways. So one of the pathways that's very obvious is animal waste, dairy okay. waste, uh, all kinds of animal waste. And today that's really kind of the chosen feedstock for renewable natural gas. Um, so cow guess, farts. Yeah. Uh, cow manure. <laughs> uh, you know, so think about a big dairy yard where yes. for a hundred years, clearly a horrific source of methane. Mm. And now, and a real problem for a dairy farmer 
as they think about what to do with all this waste. Mm -hmm. Now there begin to be solutions that turn that waste into an ugly byproduct. Now we turn it into a very clean environmental fuel. And again, today it's generally the playground for renewable natural gas. But this, that's one of the interesting things that we're doing. There are so many feedstocks and there are so many processes. So not all feedstocks go to renewable propane. Some will go to renewable diesel. Some will go to sustainable aviation fuel. Some will go to renewable natural gas. Some will go to renewable plastics, by the way. Um, but, you know, our work is today very clearly demonstrated. One, we love fats, oils, and greases okay, and, and because it's a waste product. But I'll tell you, we're in the middle of a really exciting product where, where we're building the refinery right now. It uses a non-food cover crop. So not like ethanol where we take corn that could be used for bread or fuels. This is a non-food cover crop, drought resistance, grows easily, doesn't require a lot of water turns into renewable propane very easily. And this is where I talk about a path to zero carbon. This, we believe this product will go to the market at zero carbon. Wow. And this and is, so what is it called? Well, so that particular uh, crop is camelina, uh, camelina weed. And, uh, you know, if you look, I thought I was a farm boy. I thought I knew <laughs> a lot of farm boys, but... Lo and behold, I'm in Minnesota uh, six months ago. The people in Minnesota, University of Minnesota, they knew all about it. Um, okay. But it, it's it's nothing more than one new piece of evidence that, you know, we have a whole group of people working on wood waste. Uh, legitimately, the wood waste that comes when everything else is used and thinking about how to how to chemically turn that into a renewable fuel like propane. Okay, so this is what I, I Googled it really quick so I could just get a picture of it. And there's yeah. all these articles that came up. So it's literally just some grass. It and it and it's well, it's actually it is some grass with a pod. So kind of and the pod crushes into an oil. That's what's important. Mm. But again, for us, it's exciting. It's drought tolerant. It's a non-food, it's a cover crop. So mm. you know, we're not we're not so we're not diverting food, food to yeah. Got it. But okay. again, as you would think, as you, as you, I know, already think about, because I realize mm. that you are above average in many ways, but <laughs> are we doing right when we cut down old growth forest to create farmland? Probably not in the context Correct. of carbon capture. We right. know beyond the shadow of a doubt that forests capture carbon. And now we know really well that old forests capture carbon probably better than young forest, right? And yeah. so even this is something on a mass balance. You really need to think about, are you doing the right thing? But mm. for sure, when you can take a non-food cover crop and use it in places um, and then crush it to a renewable fuel that has a carbon intensity of zero, you know you're on the right path. You yeah. know you're on the right path. So I want to ask a few questions about the renewable gas production, how it's created. You, my my very first question when I heard y'all talking about renewable propane was, okay, they're talking about renewable propane. They're talking about gathering it from, you know, all these sources. And my, and you know how ethanol was, was 
proposed to everybody as some kind of, oh, it's a miracle something, and we're going to replace your fuel in your car with this corn product, right? And while it turned out that it was actually not good for our cars, it actually is, uh, you're, we're not supposed to be running it in the summer at all. It can create all these problems. Is there any kind of a problem with renewable propane like we see with ethanol or these other like fuel alternatives that they've tried to create so far? No, not, I mean, so, I mean, I'm impressed that you know that. I mean, I think, and there's still pretty rigorous scientific debate about whether ethanol is net good on a mass balance basis right. for the earth or not. If you really think about the complexity of, you know, growing crops, the diesel fuel it takes when they farm it, fertilizing those crops. Now we got to harvest those crops, transport them to the, you know, uh, refinery. Mm -hmm. And the damage to, to the topsoil. And, the, right. and, and the, you know, right now we're kind of in this spot where most scientists would say, at best, it's a wash. Mm -hmm. uh, particularly if we think about other parts like water conservation. And so, so ethanol, clearly the jury is out. And don't forget, ethanol has less BTUs than gasoline. So, and it doesn't help us. It doesn't help us in a lot of places. It doesn't help us have more powerful cars. It doesn't help us get more miles per gallon. And and it certainly impacts the price of bread uh, with with no, no argument there. Yeah. So we're not to that spot. But again, okay. you know, ethanol is measured in billions of gallons right now. Mm. or hundreds of billions of gallons. And, you know, we're at a spot right now where the renewable propane industry, you know, we're probably sitting something under 35 or 40 million gallons. Mm. Now, okay. here's the good news. Studied it in the U.S. extensively, studied it as a part of a larger worldwide collaborative, and we are comfortable that all the transportation fuels could be propane uh, and renewable fuels by 2035, 2040. Oh, wow. Um, what? And we're working, you know, we're working with really exciting things. We work with shipping companies as we think about how to get ships to a cleaner fuel faster. Because oh, wow. again, yeah. I'm much quick to say, I don't know about you, but I would always say about my, my, my mother would say, what car should I buy that'd be good for the earth? And I would say, mom, I don't really care whether you drive a Hummer or an F-250 because you drive 4,000 miles a year, right? I'm, <laughs> I'm working I'm working to see that UPS and FedEx and Amazon and mm. people who operate ships mm -hmm. and locomotives, that they're making the right choices. Yes. So that's where pollution comes from, right? Yeah. Um, and so then we begin to see these, these renewable fuels really enter the mainstream. And I would say, at least today, as we think about truly mass balancing, Everything, cradle to grave, what we say, you know, from farm all the way through the tailpipe, however you want to measure it, they seem to have way positive implications for the climate, way positive for your health, and they're affordable solutions. Well, and that's, you know, I love that you keep bringing it back to being affordable and this conversation about equity, because if people can afford to heat their homes, if they can afford to grow their own food, if they can, if all of these things can be working in conjunction to better, uh, just people will make, not everybody, right? But I think the majority of people, if they can make a cleaner, better, healthier choice in a way that makes it so they can still pay their rent, 
they'll do it. And, and so this idea, you know, you mentioned, you said, I'm an engineer. And so I kind of believe that we can figure this out. I'm paraphrasing, but I agree with, I mean, human beings have a, 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 a brilliant demonstrated history of being able to adapt, innovate, and overcome whatever problem it happens to be. Uh, not that long ago, we were still riding horses and buggies. So in the grand scheme of like human development, why, why, why don't people believe and have uh, maybe, maybe faith isn't the right word, but why don't people believe that we can overcome this with good ideas? Well, it, it is interesting. I mean, in most most every study I've seen suggests that people do want to do right for the economy, mm. but shockingly, they're not very willing to pay much more than the other choice for it. Mm -hmm. now, I guess you know that probably makes sense as you think about companies that want to be competitive, people who want to keep as much of their paycheck as possible. Yeah, and so the real the real human factors part of this is to be able to deliver cost-effective solutions. I think the yeah. last thing for me, and I talk about it all the time, I really think the industries, I would prefer to see industries bring these solutions because they make sense mm. and they're able to deliver them rather than they are completely falsified by horrific incentives. And we kinda, we're kind of seeing that narrative out right now as we think about the incentive around you know, some you know, particularly EV technology is the one that's yeah. pretty easy to think through. And but I don't think anybody understands the the billions, trillions of dollars that are being driven into solar and wind and battery operated vehicles. Yeah. And again, I would think it'd be great if it brought us a resilient, <laughs> clean economy. But I think but. again, look, you you are free to look at the experiences of Germany. And most of Europe right now, look at how much they have invested. And then you tell me they're in a better place. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. So backing up just a little bit with the, with the, uh, the renewable conversation, I don't know if you can speak to this or you can say it in, you know, a minute or two, but my thought was how in the heck do you take, you know, the grease vat from the restaurant? Anybody who used to work in the restaurant industry, you probably had that giant black cast iron nastiness in the back of your restaurant where we, we would dump all of our cooking oil. How do you turn that crap into renewable propane? Is it like, does it, do you burn it? Do you, do you, do you like spin it and add some, you said, I think you said you add hydrogen. How does that work? So I love the way your your mind is going. And I would say if we go up a level just for a second <laughs> and think about it, we generally do it by, and I'm, I'm going to go back to your direct answer, but I think as we think of it, I would give you a different answer if we were talking about wood waste, a different mm. answer if we were talking about animal waste, ah, a different okay. answer if we're talking about conversion of camelina weed, for example. But right. uh, you asked me about uh, used cooking oil, and, and really, we do it. No, we don't centrifuge it. We don't do it by <laughs> heating it to absurd temperatures. We do it. And so at the end of the day, and so I, I think about my doctor who will say, you know, your triglycerides are high, which means mm. you have too many fatty cells in your body. We, we want to get to that triglyceride. 
that triglyceride is energy and using oh. hydrogen, we actually bombard it with hydrogen and we're able to separate the triglycerides into energy uh, quite simply. And again, that's the other thing that's beautiful about this transaction is, you know, we think about a hydrogen economy. Mm -hmm. uh, hydrogen is a really difficult fuel, but in this particular case, as we talk about fats and oils, they are quite easily migrated to energy as we think, as we bombard them with hydrogen. So, uh, and we do it all the time and we're doing it. And by the way, every, all of this stuff can be generally done in a lab. The question okay. is, can you do it at scale mm. and at cost? Right. And so this, we call it the HVO process. So hydrogenated vegetable oil. It it's, and it's, it's the basic for renewable diesel, the basis for sustainable aviation fuel. I okay. was in LA a couple of weeks ago and a big sign up in the airport, you know, all of these United flights are flying on sustainable aviation fuel. What? So that market is becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. Wow. So a lot. Of, and so now, by the way, let me be very clear. United didn't say all of United's fleet is, is flying <laughs> sustainable aviation fuel. But what they right. did say is all of the flights that leaving LAX are using sustainable aviation fuel. Okay. Now, I also didn't say they were using it exclusively 100%. My guess is they're using some blend. Yeah. But, but the answer to your question is, in that particular case, we use hydrogen and, you know, chemistry, temperature, pressure, that kind of thing to to move it from triglycerides to energy. So this isn't one of those scenarios where it's like, OK, yeah, we're going to do this thing. And it sounds really great, but it actually takes 10 times as much fossil fuel uh, yeah, to yeah. create the end product like this. So it's not, this process isn't high intensity, high energy needed to make it work. Love that you think about that. Love that you are even thinking that that could possibly be because that is the case for many of these things. Exactly. Create, takes more energy. And again, that's been my basic problem with hydrogen among, among many things, but the, the energy to create hydrogen is ridiculously inefficient today. Mm. By the way, getting better. But yeah, no, again, that, and that had been something that we work with immediately is we need to have affordable and plentiful feedstocks. And yeah. we do have that in yep. vegetable oils and used cooking oils. Yep. And it has to be a relatively easy conversion because at the end of the day, it needs to benefit the environment. That's why we're doing it. And right. also at the end of the day, you need to be able to afford the solution. And if you don't have an affordable feedstock and an efficient transaction, you don't benefit the environment or the end consumer. I, I tend to talk about us as a blue collar industry, right? Yeah. We, we don't go down that path because we want to be snake oil salesmen and sell you a product that is just fraudulent. So, right. you know, I can talk often about the nine pathways we have to make a renewable energy. Mm. And by the way, our scientists in, France could do the same thing or scientists, you know, in South America, we kind of all work on the same nine pathways. Yeah. But each one of those, we're working to make sure it's an energy efficient transaction. That is amazing. Okay. So, um, so we're getting, so we've rounded the hour and um, let's see, we have one question that just came through. I'm going to give you the opportunity to answer in just a second. I'm going to show this again. We talked a little bit about the kelp 
becoming possibly becoming uh, or as a way of helping reduce carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. I mean, this is wild. Everybody, you got to go to Tucker's uh, uh, Twitter feed. He's got all these really cool articles and information. This is just a wealth of information and knowledge. He's sharing. He's just dropping bombs. Yeah, our website is really designed to educate people. And I, yeah. I, love, I, I have a podcast myself. It's called Path to Zero. We really talk about these yeah. issues. We really talk about these energy issues, whether they're, we're not pro-propane, pro-natural gas. This is about, you know, really entering the conversation about a clean climate and and true equity and justice. So I love driving people to propane.com to learn more. I love it. Okay, let me see. Did I just pull it up correctly? Path to zero. Does that look right? Yeah. Oh, I'm not zero. sharing the screen. Hold on. There we go. Yeah. Yes. All right. So it's probably, I see it's on Apple Podcasts. Is it on other other you know, almost podcasts. all the places where you find your podcast, all but there's some really, the I mean, really, we, we did one the other day that was fascinating to me about kind of carbon and then a, and a clearer view of how carbon is stored and captured and where it comes from and uh, what's going on. So, you know, one that. of the most listened to episodes there was, is this diesel's last decade? Um, as we think mm. about, you know, kind of rounding the corner uh, on a fairly difficult and and dirty fuel mm. and thinking about a modern way to do the same thing in transportation. I like it. I so, like it. I yeah. like it. All right. So Ken asked, are Vermont fossil fuel reduction goals attainable by the years that have been written into law? I don't know if Tucker knows that Ken, that is a really good question. Um, it, it, oh my God, we're supposed to, Somebody's going to correct me for saying it wrong. If I recall correctly, it's we're supposed to be trying to uh, reduce our carbon emissions by like 60% or something like that by 2030. Um, I'm totally getting that number wrong. I know that I am. If somebody can 2050, Ken, what is the percentage that we're supposed to, is it supposed to be net zero by 2050? Um, I'm trying to remember, we've got this climate council that just, uh, does not care about, uh, Vermont or it, well, I'm being hyperbolic. I'll be fair. It is net zero. Okay. So we're supposed to, tr we're trying for net zero by 2050. And they think that we can do that from what I can tell using solar and wind because they shut, we shut down our nuclear power plant, uh, in, in the last decade, uh, we we're getting most of our energy from hydro Quebec. They, they don't intend as far as I know to build any more hydro plants or anything like that. And I'm like, how can you be carbon zero by that period on in a state again, that's winter nine months out of the year. Yeah. And I'm, I have to admit, I'm not, I'm not familiar with the laws in Vermont. Right. That's as, what I'm thinking. As well as I could, but at least I do. I'm, I'm always happy when we have carbon goals, carbon reduction goals, but I would say it's got to be one thing. The science has to be full economic analysis, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. it, it strikes me, people never think about the impact of deforestation when you clear off place yeah. for a solar farm or a wind farm. Right. You never think about the energy it takes to create those facilities or the energy it takes to maintain them, right? Yeah. Almost always driven, you know, who, who do they think powers the bulldozers that clear those farms. what do they think is the carbon mm. upset in the trees that are taken down for yeah. these massive i mean 
solar and wind is not energy dense, right? And yeah. You you need energy dense applications. And again, offshore is different than onshore, but I never mind a carbon reduction goal as long as the math behind their goal is all encompassing. Well, and that's what I've been saying. I think I think Americans right now more than ever want representatives who can do math uh, because they they don't they don't seem to be doing that these days. And someone, I mean, again, I think we need a representative who thinks about thinks about these solutions in a broader way. By yeah. the way, I see a lot of solutions that have technical. They, they, they are technically able to be solved, but I don't I think when we bring in psychology and economics and human factors, highly unlikely they'd ever be implemented because, mm -hmm. again, I don't think you want a lithium mine in your backyard. <laughs> I, don't think, I really don't think you want a wind farm on the ridge that you look out every day, yeah. you know, in your in your, you know, place of, you know, rest. Right. And so. So much of this has to, and by the way, we see it every day, right? Uh, yeah. uh, permits rejected. Uh, and so we just have to think about this on a broader way. And yeah, there, there is good news. I think there, there is beginning to be a body of people who think about it that way. Yeah. Small voices. They don't write nearly as many articles. It's not published in the New York Times <laughs> uh, nearly as often as stories about you know, the, the positive story, but again, the science is out there and the story is beginning to be told. I love it. I, you know what, Tucker, I think that's a great place to put a pin in the conversation. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you for educating us on propane, uh, renewable propane and how we can utilize propane as, as a part of our energy mix. And, uh, and hopefully, you know, the big takeaway here uh, for everybody watching is, you know, we need to make sure we're doing our research. We need to make sure we're looking up what good solutions are and more importantly, communicating with our legislators, letting our elected officials know that this is what we want that this is what we want to see and that uh, in order, and I, and I, I mean, I just love it. it in order for a clean environment and for economic justice, which is a big buzzword that we hear from, you know, folks, uh, my political opponents, as an example, uh, this is an, this is a way we can actually provide and, and make good on the goals we've set out for ourselves. And so, so well, we I'll thank just say you. this. I love, I, I, I love, you know, when I met you, we kind of had a great conversation. I love the energy you bring to it. I love the scholarly approach you bring to it. And clearly we need people like you kind of representing everyone because we're thinking about these in different and larger ways and, and not just taking the narrative that comes down the path as the gospel. And so I, I wish you the best in your endeavors. Thank you. And I just appreciate you being a beacon of truth for all of us. Thanks. Thank you, Tucker. All right, everybody have a good night and we'll see you next Sunday.